It's good to see everybody. We're excited to get to continue this sermon series called Bless today. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's just one of those sermon series that I, I really think that we're going to look back on uh, and, and think about this, this could change really the direction, the future of our church. And I know it's something simple. I, I know you, you may be thinking, well, this is pretty elementary stuff. But when we put this into practice, it really makes a huge difference. Did you guys realize that we are three weeks away from Easter? So three weeks out. So I am super excited about that. Um, Jennifer and I and Drew went to a college open house yesterday and it was so interesting because for the first time in I think two years, it felt normal. You know what I mean? I feel like we're getting back to that point now where, uh, it, you know, nobody mentioned COVID for, for the entire day. It was awesome just to, to be able to, to get back. And I feel like with Easter coming up this year, we have the opportunity uh, to get back to some semblance of normal. And so I think really people... Uh, are you know it's it's a, it's just a perfect opportunity to invite people to join us and I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, we've got a way for you to help us. We've got some invitation cards over here um, at the counter and at the door, uh, and it just says you're invited. You're invited to celebrate with us at Easter. It's got the information. It's got the website address. All that. Uh, we've got a bunch of these. So take these. They're just kind of like a square business card size. You can take them, hand out to people. Uh, share these with people. Uh, I would love for you to, to take all of these, though, and, and use these to, 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 to share with people about what we're doing here at, at Cornerstone. Uh, we, for Easter morning, uh, we already are planning just a, a great service. Uh, obviously, we're going to celebrate Jesus. Uh, we're going to celebrate the hope that we have, the living hope. Uh, so we're already working on the service. We've got a great uh, morning planned for the kids as well. Uh, not only that, on Good Friday, um, we have a special kids event, Messy Easter, that's coming up. So uh, you can sign up for that and find out all the information online. But uh, that's, uh, I'm just excited about Easter. So you'll be seeing some stuff online on social media. Help us by sharing that too as well. Uh, you'll start seeing that come out this week. So who in here, by a show of hand, likes to eat? Okay. I, I think... I, you know, I think I'm an expert in this. I think this is, some weeks I'm preaching on stuff that I, you know, uh, that I, I may not know as much. When we're talking about eating, I can talk about eating now. Uh, this is something we can talk about. I, I saw a quote that said, after turning 35, men must make a decision to either get really into World War II history or really into smoking various meats. <laughs> so... For me, uh, I obviously took the, the, the latter there. Um, and, and so I, I, if you want to talk about brisket, you want to talk about pork butts, you want to talk about how to cook chicken wings on the smoker, I can tell you how to do that uh, because I like to eat. Um, and so what else will make a guy get up, you know, at the middle of the night and check on the smoker and like, you know, get up early and, and you know, there's just, there's just some things that guys like to do. And um, I, our culture takes eating so seriously that we even have eating competitions. Many of you have heard of Joey Chestnut. I think I got a, a picture of him up here. Have you seen this guy? Uh, he won the record for the Nathan's Famous Fourth of July Hot Dog Eating Contest. He ate 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. 
76. Do y'all think you could do that? That's a, that's a lot of hot dogs. And he's not like a big guy. I don't know how he, how he does it. Um, he, he said, it just felt good. Even if I was uncomfortable having everybody cheer me on and push me, it made me feel good. That was his quote. There are all sorts of other eating competitions around the country. There are crawfish eating contests, fruitcake eating contests. Uh, there even is a, get this, a mayonnaise eating contest. The record is four 32-ounce bowls eaten in eight minutes. I don't, th- I don't think I want to sign up for that one. I don't know about y'all. We even have one of the most unique eating contests around here in Grayson County. We have the ramp eating contest. Y'all know about y'all know what ramps are? They're wild onions, and those things are strong. They're stout, right? And they, they have a ramp eating contest up on White Top uh, in Grayson County in, uh, every year. So, uh, man, that, that's, you know, you, you think about that. I mean, we take food pretty seriously in our culture. It, it's just part of our lives. And we're in this series called Bless, How to Bless Your Neighbor. It, it's all about our mission, which is to work together to make disciples of Jesus who transform their world. Now, this j- isn't just like a mission statement we say or we repeat. It's really a way of life. It, it's, not just, um, your, it's not just the mission of the church. It's your mission. It's my miss- mission. It's how we live. And so during this series, we're... Uh, equipping and challenging one another to, to be people who bless others. And, and, and the, one of the best ways we can do this is through this acronym of BLESS. This comes from a book by Pastor Dave Ferguson. Uh, we've been going through this acronym. And so let's kind of show the, the, uh, the, the five different BLESS principles here on the screen. Uh, I think I've got a slide for it. Yeah, so we begin with prayer. Uh, this is the, the B, the, the begin with prayer. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's where everything starts, that we just start praying for divine appointments, praying for opportunities. Then we really listen, and we listen with love. And we talked about that last week, how important it is for us to listen to others uh, and to ask questions and to learn more and to be truly interested and care about the people around us. Then we talk about eat today and, and we'll talk about the importance of eating together. And then the next two weeks we'll talk about serving and how to share our story. And, and so there, these five things are really, really what I would call rhythms. They, they are rhythms of life. And, and it's not really a program. It's not really uh, it's not like a, you know, a step-by-step formula. This is a rhythm, just something we breathe in and breathe out. All of these things as part of our everyday life. And that's what I love about it because it's not complicated. It just makes us to be more intentional. It, it kind of refocuses what we're already doing, but doing it in a way that honors God and, do, and doing it in a way that helps us to really reach other people. Uh, and, and so how does that all relate to eating? Uh, food brings us together. Would you agree with that? That food brings people together. The ordinary, everyday act of sitting down together, sharing a meal, has, has, it has the power to build community, to build friendships, and to build relationships. But one of the things I've, I, I think we've all noticed over the last couple of years is with COVID, uh, with the whole pandemic, is that our, our normal patterns of everyday life, our normal rhythms have been disrupted. 
And, and so when it comes to eating, it's almost like we got accustomed to eating in the car and eating on the go. And it was so strange for month after month after month to drive by restaurants that were empty and, uh, and, and everybody was going through the drive through. And, and even now that things have reopened, it's like they're understaffed everywhere. I mean, we see that every, almost every place you go is understaffed. And so uh, they, the dining rooms are closed often. Uh, they, they clo- if they're understaffed, they just close them. And, and so we, 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 we're still not really back to, to where we need to be, to what, what normal was. Um, but eating with other people is actually really important. It's more important than most of us realize. Um, there was a study recently done that shared the benefits of children and, and young adults uh, the, the benefits that they experience when they eat together with their parents. And, and here are a few things that stood out to me that that study shared. It said that when you eat together as a family, it leads to healthier eating for the kids into adulthood. It, in, it leads to a lower risk of disordered eating. It leads to less use of cigarettes, drugs, and alcohol. It leads to better self-esteem and less depression. It leads to better grades and higher scores on achievement tests at school. So apparently, right, just the the simple act of gathering around a table together as a family can have an incredible impact on children. And again, I think we've gotten away from this in our culture. I know everybody's like, well, but you don't understand. I've got to get to this practice and got to get to this place. And we've got this meeting and we're over here. And so we never sit down together. Well, I want to challenge you a little bit today to to think about the power of gathering around a table. The the power of gathering around a table with your own family and with people in community. Now, I want you to look at a snapshot of the early church as it was getting established in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, now there's a passage here that that is familiar, but I think we skip over this, this, this eating aspect of this passage. And verse 42, we'll pick it up here. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And I'll just stop right there for a minute. If you don't already know, that is our verse for Center 242. That is where we got the name for from. So if you see that Center 242, you're like, why, why is it named that? It's because of Acts 2.42. Because that's how we want, that's how we aspire to use that building for, for teaching and fellowship and sharing and meals and prayer. So uh, that's, that's a little background information. So it, as we keep going, it says a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's suppers, and and then shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So what's interesting to me about this story is it's how they did life together. And a big part of it was sharing meals, uh, gathering around the table. And so I, I know that we, we love to talk about teaching and prayer and fellowship and worship. But this meals aspect is a huge part of what 
the early church did to build community. It's a rhythm of life where everyone was connected. And that kind of leads me to my first point this morning, that much of Jesus' ministry, much of it was in, involved conversation around a table. As we read through the Gospels, uh, we see much of Jesus' ministry involved food. In the book of Luke alone, there are 10 stories of Jesus dining and talking with various people. 10 different stories where he was focused on having a meal with someone and, and talking and eating. And when we eat and we listen, just like we talked about last week, you see real quickly how relationships turn into friendships. Jesus recognized the importance of eating together. If I asked you to think about all the, the things that he did on his time to earth, I think we would think about his teaching and his miracles and his healing and his walking on water and uh, going to the cross on our behalf. And, but so much of his time was simply spent eating. Uh, in fact, you think about this. He performed his first miracle at a wedding feast, right? He fed 5,000 people uh, in the countryside. The night before his crucifixion, what did he do? He gathered his closest disciples around him and shared a meal with him. After his resurrection, what did he do? He shared breakfast on the beach with his disciples. We see this over and over, and, and I don't think we realize how big of a deal eating was in their culture. We have it pretty easy. We get hungry, uh, we just go to the pantry, grab something, grab a snack. Uh, we got food everywhere. Uh, we can go through the, the drive-thru and get it. We can go anywhere in town, fast food, get something. We can even door dash it. And, and not, all we have to do is get on the app, hit a few buttons, pay, and somebody will bring our food to us. How lazy is that? It's convenient too, though, right, sometimes? I'm not knocking it because I've done it. But, I mean, you, you think about that. We've got it easy. But food in their time, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have grocery stores like we have today. They had to put effort and energy into it. And, and so this was a big deal to sit down and then to have someone else eat with you. It meant preparation. It meant you had to be ready. It meant, it meant money that you had to spend uh, on, a, on a very valuable resource. So this whole idea of sharing meals together in their culture, this was a big deal. And so that's why it was so outrageous that the religious leaders did not like who Jesus spent time with eating. They looked at this and like, when you spend time eating with someone, you're, you're more, it's more than just a meal. You're affirming them, right? Who you ate with was a statement of who you loved and cared about. And Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He dined with gluttons and tax collectors and prostitutes. And the religious leaders didn't know how to process this. They didn't know how to deal with it. They, they, they looked at him, and, and we just see this over and over again, that they, they struggled with it. In Matthew chapter 9, here's one of the, the best examples of this. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw, saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Uh, and we, if you know the, what tax collectors did, they worked on behalf of the Roman government, uh, but they were usually Jewish people who worked for the Roman government. So they were viewed as traitors. 
You, you, you've turned against your own people and you're extorting them for more money. And so uh, Matthew was not a popular guy. It says later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher, this translation, it's kind of interesting, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Pretty direct, right? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So this is the scene, right? Uh, Jesus is walking along. He sees Matthew. He calls Matthew to be his disciple. And Matthew's first act is then to throw a party and invite all of his friends and fellow sinners to get together to meet Jesus. You got to meet this guy. You, you got to see uh, who he is and what he's doing. And I loved uh, in the, the Chosen TV series how it, 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 uh, how it showed this scene. And it showed how even the other disciples really didn't trust Matthew and didn't even like him because of his past. But it showed this kind of, you saw it kind of come to life as, uh, as Matthew gets together and these people are gathering with him. And, and, and the first thing Jesus did is sit down and eat with the tax collectors, the, the, the disreputable people here, the, the scum, as the Pharisees called it, the people who were looked down upon, who were cast out, who, who no one wanted anything to do with, the people who had no value in their society at the time. And that's the very people that Jesus went to because he said, those are the people, right, that need, he said that the healthy people don't need a doctor. They're not sick. They don't, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who understand they're sinners but need someone to rescue them. And that's why Jesus came. And so it's interesting that he did this around a table. Um, And when he said, you know, this is what Scripture says, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. The Pharisees knew backwards and forwards. They knew what Jesus was talking about. But what Jesus is saying is you don't really even understand what this means. You may have it memorized, but you're not living it out. And that's why he was, he was pressing against the Pharisees and telling them, if you really understood this, then you would understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Uh, the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees over who Jesus ate with, it, it wasn't isolated. It, it continued on. And in Luke chapter 7, it said, The Son of Man, on the other hand, uh, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Uh, and, and they're, they're, they're just constantly saying, look at who he's hanging around with. Look at who he's eating with. Uh, they, 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 they just, they struggled with this. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't a drunk. He wasn't a glutton. But he ate with people who were. And so because of that, he got accused of it a lot. And what we see in Jesus' life is that eating was integral to his mission of making disciples. I would say he was a missional eater, right? And we can be too. He blessed people by sharing meals with them. Um, Author Henry Nguyen says this. He says, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. Uh, 
we offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, and closeness. When we say, help yourself, take some more, don't be shy, have another glass, we offer our guests not only our food and drink, but also ourselves. A spiritual bond grows, and we become food and drink for one another. And so when we eat together, we're doing far more than simply sharing a meal. We're actually living out the mission of Jesus. Which brings me to my next point. Eating with someone is one of the most powerful ways you can bless your neighbors and change the world. It's, when we eat with people, it gives us an opportunity to have those conversations. It gives us a, an opportunity to kind of go to the next level in our relationship. I want you to think about the people and the places that God is calling you to bless. Uh, Early on in this series, I had you uh, fill out a card uh, to list out the people that God was calling you uh, to to start praying for. And and think about these people and and, and this card and and who are those people and places and, and when was the last time you had an opportunity to share a meal with one of those people? Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family member or a coworker or a friend, or uh, it, it could maybe be people in a specific place. Uh, maybe uh, it's a coffee shop or, or your local school or a, a, a place that, you know, our soup kitchen. Or it may, Just think about the opportunities we have on a weekly uh, basis. Maybe it's even our meals ministry here at church, our, our daily bread meals ministry. It's been a, an awesome way to share meals with people who are going through uh, maybe transitions or changes or sickness or new births, new babies. And we've had a lot of new babies here lately at Cornerstone. It's been a way for us to share love by sharing a meal. Uh, but when you think about the, the, the people that God has called us to bless and the places he's called us to go to, it's easy to start thinking of excuses. I, you just don't understand, Mike. I, sharing a meal, that's just kind of strange. I don't do that or I've not done it or um, I don't have time or uh, I just hear some of the excuses that we tend to use. Here's one of the excuses and we'll, we'll put it up on the screen here. I don't like to have people in my home. Have you ever said that? I would have people over, but you've not seen my home. That means I would have to clean up. That means I would have to straighten up. Uh, it means that I, I, I would have to cook and I would have to prepare. Uh, and, and if you don't like to have people in your home, that's okay. Then go eat out. Okay? If you don't like, uh, if you can't cook, that's okay. Go get something uh, and, and, and get takeout and bring it back to your house. It, we're not talking, you don't have to have a five course gourmet meal, right? When you eat with friends and, 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 and these people that you're trying to reach, it may be as simple as getting a pizza and sitting down and just having a conversation. And so if, you, if you're saying, I just don't like to have people in my home, if your house is a little messy, guess what? That's okay. Everyone's is. It's called life, right? We don't have to pretend we've got it all together and we're not living in a, in a Southern Living magazine. It's all right if, if the, the toys are out on the floor. and it, You don't have to. We need, relationships are more important than the, uh, than the picture you're trying to create of a perfect life. All right. And so uh, that's one excuse we use. Here's another excuse. I don't know what I would say. And I think, as an introvert, I can say this. I think sometimes introverts will use this as an excuse. I just, I don't know. I'm, I, 
I'm not talking, this really applies to both introverts and extroverts. Uh, you know, we're not sure what we would say or what, a lot of what we're doing is listening. You don't have to drive the whole conversation. We talked last week about how we can listen and ask great questions. You can find out where they grew up or what their family was like or what kind of jobs they've had or what do they do for fun or what are their dreams for the future. You can ask questions and just sit back and listen. And so you don't have to, 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 to do all the talking. And, and sometimes even silence is all right. It's just the sharedness of, of sitting with someone and talking with them and listening. That's, that, that means a lot. Or, or the, another excuse is I just don't have time. I just don't have time. And, and I know that so many of you are busy and, and it's tough to sit down. And I know we find ourselves kind of far too often. We'll sit down to have a meal and we'll look and think, you know, it's 830. It's nine o'clock and we're just now sitting down for supper. But we still choose to sit down together as a family, no matter what time it is. Um, and, and I would say this too, right? Uh, there are a lot of meals that you eat. Seven days a week, you typically eat three meals a day, 21 meals. What if you just took one or two of those meals and then use that as an opportunity to invite someone into your life, to invite someone to join you, to invite someone to, to share it with you? Now, think about that. Just what would it look like if we just set aside one or two meals every single week to eat with others? Um, you know, in their book right here, right now, uh, Alan Hirsch, who's an author I really like, he wrote this. He says, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. And so if you're like, I, man, I, I don't know, I can't really, I'm not a good evangelist, I'm not really good at sharing my faith, or I'm not really good at teaching the Bible, but I can eat, Okay, here's your ministry. Uh, if you're saying, I, I can't do all that other stuff, but I know how to eat. Here is your ministry to, to go and invite people to join you. And, 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 I, and with kids, um, uh, we've done this for years. Is it, uh, we really don't know who's going to be at supper a lot of times until everybody's there. And then we're like, we've got a lot more people than we even expected, right? If you've got teenagers, you know what I mean. Uh, they're just, they just show up and you're like, okay, you're, you're going to say, oh yeah, come on, come on. And, and we've invited a lot of people around our table over the years. Uh, and it's been so great to get to know people. And so instead of the excuses, let's start trying to find ways that we can connect with people. Um, Dave Ferguson said this in his book. He said, when you start to practice this simple everyday way of of blessing your neighbors, you might even discover that hospitality is a spiritual gift you didn't know you had. I'm convinced that you'll be amazed by how you can impact the lives of people around the table. You're going to find yourself helping others eat their way into the kingdom of God. Remember, you don't have to do this alone. I encourage everyone in our church to get into a small group because we believe to our core that, when we, are, that we are never meant to pursue this Jesus mission alone. 
And so what if your small group started having barbecues or parties or dinners once a month, inviting neighbors and coworkers and friends? What if you skipped the Bible study and decided to just hang out and eat? That could be someone's first taste of your small group or your church and of God. And so, again, you, you think about this opportunities that are small groups. Most of our small groups have snacks or food or even meals. And those are opportunities for us to connect around a table. Uh, this is, again, I, 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 this is so basic. But yet, when do, when do we really do this in an intentional way of being a blessing to other people? It can be as simple as having a dinner together at your home or going to a restaurant. It could be sharing a pizza. Uh, It could be bringing snacks into work and having lunch at work one day. It could be organizing a neighborhood get-together, right? It could be going out and having coffee with someone. It could be asking a colleague, hey, let's go out for lunch today. Uh, It it may be, uh, there's just so many things we could do here. Um, to, to, to go and, and say, hey, would you mind, let's just go out and grab lunch one day this week and just catch up. Uh, there's so many ways we can do this. I want to share a story with you that I, I saw online several years ago, and it's uh, been pretty, pretty remarkable what's happened. Uh, six years ago, I think I've got a picture of, the, of the, the grandma here. Grandma in Arizona, she mistakenly invited a stranger to her Thanksgiving dinner. Have you all heard about this? What started as an accidental text message uh, is just a humorous exchange. It quickly went viral on social media. Now Netflix has got it and is turning it into a full-blown film. Uh, It's called The Thanksgiving Text. This happened in 2016. Wanda Dench thought she was texting her grandson to check if he would be coming over for for Thanksgiving. Apparently she had the wrong cell number, okay? And so she actually texted Jamal Hinton, a high school senior at the time, Uh, who accepted her invitation anyway and has attended her Thanksgiving meal every year since. Uh, When he asked, when she first texted him, he's like, uh, uh, he's like, who is this? And and she replied back, your grandma. And he's like, he sent a picture back and said, I don't think you're my grandma. (laughs) And he said, but can I still come anyway? And of course, she said, of course, that's what families do. You're welcome to come. And so he came that year, and then his family started coming with, uh, with them. And they, they kind of, his girlfriend came. And, 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 you know, this has been going on now since 2016. And, and, and actually, tragically, this year, her husband died from COVID. Um, but they've still kept this uh, relationship, this friendship going through all of this. What would it look like, right, if more of us kind of took that attitude like, hey, it's the wrong number, but hey, I, I want you to come on anyway. Hey, uh, what about just joining me for, for a meal? Hey, what about just coming over and, and let's getting to know each other? This is what he, they said. They said, we are excited to share our story with the world. We hope it inspires more people to reach out and make connections that they wouldn't ordinarily make. We are so blessed to find a genuine friendship brought together by God from a mistaken text message. I love that story. I mean, that's just that just shows you, right, that sitting down around a a table breaks down barriers. It breaks down these these barriers and these walls that we have put up culturally and socioeconomically and racial. And it breaks all of those down and just says, hey, we're sharing a meal together. We care about your life. We want to hear more about what's going on in your world. 
And so what, what if we would get in a habit of just doing this on a regular basis? Jesus did. Jesus did time after time. He would gather his disciples together. And so I thought this morning, what better way to kind of close out our service than a time for the Lord's Supper? I know we, 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 we did it a few weeks ago, but I felt like today we need to, to celebrate again. Because when Jesus gathered his disciples around, right, he, he, he did that for a reason. He did it around a meal. Uh, N.T. Wright says this. He said, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. He gave them a meal. And, and so as Jesus approached his final days, he had some, some really important stuff to share. He didn't say, okay, we're going to have a business meeting and, and I need you to line up and I need you to take notes. He sat down around a table with his disciples. And, and, and he said, I, I, wanna, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this, this bread we're eating and how this bread is, is my body that is broken for you. I want you to think this, uh, think of this wine we're drinking. This is the, the blood that's going to be poured out as it shows, it signifies this new covenant that I'm making with my blood now, uh, that I'm going to be with you forever. And I want you, every time you drink this, every time you gather in a meal together, I want you to remember, I want you to, to say grace. I want you to say thanks and remember who I am and what I've done. And, and, and so this gathering around a table was so central to the life of the early church. That's why Acts 2.42 that we read earlier said what, when the disciples gathered, it was for teaching and prayer and fellowship and worship and the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread. And, and so today we're, we're going to take some time to do this. And so as we sing this last song, uh, I want you to come up. We've got uh, the elements here at this table and this table and, and, and at, at the cross as well. If you're watching online, you can join us online. You can gather what you have there with, with you in your home and, and take communion from there. Uh, we invite you to do that. Uh, but this is a time where the church, we get together and we remember who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So let's pray together now. Uh, and prepare ourselves before we continue in worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And, and such a simple thing of, as, as eating together, Lord, we know it can be used to build stronger relationships. We know it can be used to point people to Jesus. And so, Lord, would you help us to think about how we can be more intentional and in how we go about our rhythm of everyday life. Would you help open our eyes so we see opportunities to, to go deeper with those around us, uh, to ask questions, to, to listen, to learn? And would you give us opportunities to, to sit around a table with others just to, to, to get to know them and to hear what you're already doing in their life? Heavenly Father, we, we're so thankful that when we gather today uh, as, as a church, that we can gather in a way that that we can remember you, remember what you've done for us. And help us not to forget that. Jesus was called a, a friend of sinners. And I pray, Lord, that we would have that label as well, that we would be in contact with those who are far from God, those who are struggling, those who are hurting, those who need Jesus. And that we would be a light, we would be an encouragement, we would share the hope that we have in Jesus with them. 
Lord, I pray that as we get ready to, 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 to take the Lord's Supper, that you would help us to examine our lives. You would help us to think about what we, we're doing and, and make it not just another ritual, but make it a time where we're truly communing with you, where we're, 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 we're truly understanding what we're doing, that we're remembering what you've done for us, how you died for us on the cross, how you came back to life, and how now we have a mission until you come again. Lord, we just thank you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.